Welcome to podcast number 121 of My Favorite Detective Stories. Today's date is February 16th, 2021, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Our guest this week is Matt Coyle. Matt is the author of the best-selling Rick Cahill series. Matt knew he wanted to be a crime writer at the age of 13 when his father gave him Raymond Chandler's The Simple Art of Murder. Matt's books have won the Anthony, Seamus, Lefty, Ben Franklin Silver, Forward Reviews Book of the Year Silver, and San Diego Book Awards. Blind Vigil is the seventh book in the Rick Cahill series. Matt hosts the Crime Corner podcast and lives in San Diego with his yellow lab, Angus, where he is writing his eighth crime novel. My pleasure to bring on Matt Coyle. Welcome to My Favorite Detective Stories. My Favorite Detective Stories features crime fiction writers who discuss their latest books and what makes their fictional detectives tick. Throughout my investigative career spanning five decades, I cannot think of a time that I didn't have a good crime novel on my coffee table or bedstand. We will also talk about their favorite authors as well. On alternating weeks, we are introducing a new podcast, How to Rocket Your PI Business, featuring successful private investigators. They offer insights into their careers and advice for those just starting out or for those who are struggling. We will learn from the best. And of course, we cannot finish the show without asking them to share a few of their favorite detective stories and sage marketing tips. As a working investigator, coach, and writer, I hope to bring you inspiration, information, and entertainment in the areas that interest me most. Gather around my campfire as I invite you to listen in. This episode of My Favorite Detective Stories is brought to you by my own crime thriller with a mystery twist. Odessa on the Delaware, introducing Marsha O'Shea, my debut novel. A Russian gang enforcer is on a murderous rampage to take over the entire Philadelphia mob scene. A homeless vet doesn't know that he has the proof or that he's next on the list. The stakes are high for this deadly cat-and-mouse game set on the bleak, Philly waterfront of years gone by. FBI agent Marsha O'Shea, a gunslinger from the Miami drug cartel days, is back in her hometown, quietly finishing out her career, but is now drawn into this case with a secret pushing her doggedly to follow the clues, only to uncover a greater secret that may get her killed in the final showdown. I'm excited to talk about Odessa on the Delaware, and for my readers and listeners, it is now free at my website, www.johnhoda.com. I'm glad to offer this book to you as a way of introducing you to FBI agent Marsha O'Shea because the series with her continues with Clearwater Blues, Detroit Wheels, and West Reading Traffic. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, man. I want to first of all congratulate you on winning the Private Eye Writers of America Seamus Award for 2020 for Best Private Eye Novel for Lost Tomorrows. So congratulations, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was my uh, fourth try. So I was getting a little Susan Lucci streak going, but I was very happy to win it. <laughs> the award means a lot to me, as I'm sure you can understand. Yeah. Um, all the great writers uh, um, that have been nominated and won it over the years. It's um, you know writers I read, so it's pretty cool. I'm very happy about it. Yeah, and you should be. And the fact that, that you know, year after year, you're in uh, nominated with people that you admire. 
you know, that's cool. I mean, that's really nice. I mean, I think about the, the, you know, the people that are like the first time nominee for like the best supporting actor for the Oscars. And they're only in the company of say Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, you know, Sean Connery and, you know, uh, somebody else. And, uh, that's, that's who they're nominating classes. And it's like, wow, you know, I get to stand on the same podium with those people, you know? So yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. And I, I, I think you've, you know, fourth, uh, fourth time to charm. So good for you. Congratulations. So, uh, I always ask my guests, uh, how's the weather down there in San Diego today? Well, you know, it's winter, so it's about, uh, 70 degrees. So it's a little, little chilly. Got a sweater on. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Especially. And you know what, when, when I ask you this question in August, you're going to say, eh, you know, a little bit of an ocean front come in today. It's about 70. You got to wear a sweater, you know, that's right. And then, uh, in, in, uh, late fall, it'll be, Oh, you know, it's a little brisk out there today. I had to wear a sweater around 70. So yeah, I get you, uh, here in the Northeast, uh, in Southwestern Connecticut, where I reside, we've got a foot of snow and, uh, it's, uh, and it's not melting very quickly. So we got a nice snowpack starting for the season. So I've been watching. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Uh, so I just wanted to ask you, how'd you all get started with uh, your writing and uh, tell me how you get up to the point where uh, now um, you've got a, uh, an award for uh, lost tomorrow. So just kind of walk me up through the, your writing history up till now. Well, there was that sixth grade paper and I got an A minus on. Um, no, I, uh, I read crime from, from as soon as I started reading, I read uh, Agatha Christie. I read um, Conan Doyle. Um, and I, I, even at a young, young age, I thought, you know, I want to do this. I want to be a crime writer. I didn't call it crime back then, whatever, mystery writer, Mm -hmm. but I didn't realize, uh, it took me 30 years to realize that to become a writer, you have to write. So that was a tough part, but, um, I didn't start writing. I mean, I would, I, I have a degree in English, so that's basically good for, um, washing dishes in a restaurant, (laughs) which I did when I got out of college. Okay. Or uh, going to law school, which I did not do, um, and a few other things. So I, um, I would, I told myself and other people, which was a big mistake, that I was going to be a writer, even though I wasn't really writing, and for years and years. But I would, I would um, attempt every once in a while when the uh, when I was inspired, and, and you know, how many pages inspiration is good for? About three, maybe maybe five on a good day. Mm. So I put it aside. I'd write and put it aside, and then. I was working for the uh, fourth golf company. I've helped put out a business in 10 years. And I saw the handwriting on the wall that um, this thing was going down. And when I was 42 or something at the time, I think. I said, well, this is it. You have to start writing now or you can't even pretend that's something that you'll ever do. And sure enough, the company went out of business. I had a little bit of money saved away. And I wrote every day for about six months and wrote what I thought was a book, which, of course, was an awful first draft. Um, I didn't know any better. And um, I thought that, you know, now I can uh, buy the house in La Jolla. I sell the the book, buy the house in La Jolla, and I'll be set for the rest of my life. Never work a day job the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Luckily, a guy I worked with in the golf business, because remember, I was unemployed, called me. He was working for a sports licensing company. He called me, no joke, the week after I finished that first draft, which I thought was a book. And he said, hey, we need somebody in sales over here. You want to come over? And I said, well, you know, Eric – I'm going to be a published author very soon, but I'll come over and help you out for a little bit. 
And uh, I worked there for 16 years. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it took me 10 years to get published, um, which is not that unusual, but um, it is on the higher end, I think. Um, and so, um, you know, I mean, I always wanted to write crime. I, I, I wrote it. I wrote that first draft. I revi- revised and revised. I took classes at the uh, University of San Diego, University of California, San Diego Extension, taught by a woman named... Um, Carolyn Wheat, who ended up actually leading a writer's group I was in years later for about 10 years. But, um, you know, I, w- I was revising and revising all along and sending out and getting rejections and getting ignored. And then um, I finally got an agent after probably probably about five or six years of, you know, sending out, querying. And then she got me a book deal about six months after that. But clearly a long slog, but not unusual, I don't think, for people to um, get first get published and not unusual to have a day job for um, while you're doing it, unless you're, you know, unless you're very fortunate um, because you got to make a living. You're not going to make it as a writer for a while. No. And I think that uh, this is just a wonderful story. I think it's, it's absolutely inspirational. And <laughs> the reason, uh, and, and you worked hard for it. And there were a yeah. lot of times when you probably fell down in the, in the muck and mire and, and had to say, ah, this isn't worth it. Why do I keep banging my, you know, why do I keep doing this? And then, but yet you get up, you know, you try to dust yourself off as best you can and you just keep putting, you know, slogging, like you said, one foot in front of the other. And um, as long as you were making progress and and at times I'm sure it didn't feel like progress, but as long as you were making progress towards your ultimate goal, uh, you did. So um, a lot of people don't have the, the grit or determination um, or they're not compelled enough to do it. And you did. So congratulations to you, really, seriously. Yeah, I mean, it really does take, I mean, that's talent will only get you so far. I was talking about inspiration earlier. Talent's the same thing. You have to work the muscle and you have to, and you have to uh, get used to, or not get used to, but be prepared to deal with um, rejection. And, um, you know, you said I, I definitely got frustrated, but you know what? I never really wanted to give up. I, I wasn't sure if I'd ever get published, but I did know once I finally started doing it after all these years of on and off writing and telling myself and other people, big mistake, that I was going to be a writer. When I really sat down and did it every day, I realized, you know, no matter what happens, this is what I should be doing. This is what I was put on earth to do good or bad. And so that was a great, that six months, those six months were very important to me. Um, and you know, this being able to go forward because maybe if I would, you know, if I was doing that like every day with a job, maybe I would have gotten frustrated and wouldn't be able to push through. But, um, once I finally, you know, three months into it, I realized I have to do this. And then you make, you figure out how to do it when you do have a job. That's right. You make the time, you don't find the time you make the time. That's so true. So true. And uh, today, I was just going through a, a little exercise on productivity and for myself, and I saw that uh, I, I make the time to do the work, you know, for my writing. And at the end of the day, at the end of the week, whenever, whatever period of time you want to do it, I've made the time for it. And uh, it is not, how do I want to say, it's, it's not negotiable. In other mm. words, um, somebody better be bleeding or the house should be a second alarmer, you know, <laughs> before I decide that, you know, I'm not, I got to get away from my keyboard, you right. know? And honestly, 
that's I think a lot of that is is what you know drives writers to continue to write that they they make the time regardless of what's going on in their life because a lot of people can have excuses. Yep. You know, the other thing too is that uh, you didn't take that first manuscript and stuff it in a drawer and then live with regret for the rest of your life. You know, yeah, there's there's no I mean there's some things I can regret. I mean I'm sure there's some things that you can regret, but one of them wasn't giving up on writing. Yeah. And could you imagine your life if you had given up on writing? No, but honestly, I don't, I really, I really don't know what situation I'd be in right now. I don't think it would be, um, I'm not really a happy, optimistic guy anyway, but I, I'd be probably in some dire straits. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, and I was 40, like I said, 42, probably when I unlocked the, the uh, secret of my, of any kind of happiness I would have in my life, aside from personal relationship. Mm-hmm. I was finally doing what I, something that I, I always felt guilty about not doing, but never, you know, really put in enough time consistently to do. And then once, once that happened, then I realized, well, this is, this is my new journey. Mm. I like the way you said that. And I like the way you put that all together. Also, you mentioned that it, it, you weren't, uh, you didn't come, uh, in the Amazon box as a newly minted debut novelist, you know, you were, uh, you had to go through some uh, work. You had to go through many revisions on that. You had to go right. through writer's classes, a critique group, you say yeah. critique group. Um, and there was other things that you did to hone your craft. And that is like, like you said, you know, working the talent muscle, you sure you had the talent, but there's a lot of, uh, high school, all Americans that when it came to getting smashed in the face, uh, you know, their freshman year of college, all of a sudden, you know, it's a, it's a little different story, you know, and right. uh, unless they work at it, uh, they're not going to get any better. And I'm using, you know, like a, a football analogy, but sure. anyhow, uh, so definitely, I think that what you're saying is, uh, rings so true to me that, uh, it, it doesn't happen overnight. I don't know many overnight successes on a previous podcast. I talked about how, uh, Dan Brown's, uh, uh, the Da Vinci Code was his fourth book. Yeah, you know, it didn't happen overnight for him. I'm sure he had a million words uh, in the word processor before that one rolled out. So right. definitely. So uh, during those formative years, uh, and you said you always loved crime writing. Yeah. You mentioned Agatha Christie and Acon and Doyle, two different. I would say kind of different ends of the spectrum, but still wonderful, wonderful guideposts for which to kind of tether your own uh, writing style. Any other people um, that you looked at during your uh, formative days and said, boy, I like the way they write and that yeah. resonates with me? Yeah, I really didn't expand out on that. Is is that I was, you know, when I read um, Agatha Christie and, and uh, author Conan Doyle, Arthur, Arthur, I was probably, you know, I don't know, 10 12, maybe younger. And I really, I think at that age, you like the puzzle aspect of it where you're putting the the clues, the clues are going together the puzzles comes together. Good guys win at the end, bad guys are punished. And then I read uh, my father, I was probably 13 or 14. My father gave me the simple art of murder by Raymond Chandler. Mm. And that changed my life for sure. Well, it took a lot, 30 years, as I said, but then I realized, and of course I was a teenager at that point or a little rebellious anyway, but then I realized it is, crime fiction isn't just uh, good guys win all the time. It's not black and white. There's a lot of gray. And um, I mean, Chandler really spoke to me. That that really um, put me on the path of the kind of writing I wanted to do. Delayed, of course, as I've said. 
So Chandler was a huge influence to me. Ross McDonald, a huge influence. Those two were my major influences for sure. Mm. And, and, you know, you know I, I, liked, I liked that idea like, oh, wait a second. This mm. doesn't all come together at the end. And there's, you know, some, there's a little bit of the noirish aspect appealed to me for sure. I, didn't, I couldn't put a name on it back then, but it well, touched me. Let me let me just clue you in at uh, use the word clue you in. <laughs> uh, let me clue you in at age sixty six. I still like putting the puzzles together. I well, still, sure. I still love reading and wondering: is that the suspect? Is that the, is that a clue? Is that a clue? Oh come on, is that a clue? And then you know, no, that's not a clue. And then going on to the end, and then hopefully at the end, the uh, the way the writer brings it all together isn't too outlandish or too far, no, too far right. afield. If, if it looks like there was something there that I should have seen as a trained detective during those, you know, the first uh, 250 pages, then, you know, shame on me. Or, oh, that's so neat how they put that together. I, I like the, oh, that's so neat better than, oh, damn it, I should have seen that. But uh, so, but again, you mentioned some great, great people, McDonald, uh, Chandler, you know, both, both given uh, an opportunity to take, uh, crime fiction writing out of, you know, the police gazette uh, magazine racks at the barbershop into right. a little bit more of a literary field, but also uh, giving, like you say, a little bit more uh, opportunity for some questioning at the end of what was going on. So, yeah, for sure. Now, Matt, I just was, uh, so as you're writing, uh, what was, what started to come together? What was the first book that, uh, that uh, your agent said yeah to? Well, the first book was uh, Yesterday's Echo, which ended up winning the Anthony Award for Best uh, Novel, Best AB, rather, sorry. And, um, of course, it was the novel that I'd revised for 10 years. I remember early on that I, after a rejection, some, some agents um, will answer emails about, you know, what they didn't like or like after they reject you. And it was Betsy Amster in L.A., a very nice lady and agent. And she went a little back and forth. And she said, you know, she said, well, I like the writing, but the, the story's not quite for me. And, I, you know, we went back and forth. She goes, well, don't get discouraged. Um, God, I'm blanking out on his name now. Gosh darn it. Um, he's got a son. He's got a wife. They're all mystery writers. Kellerman, Jonathan Kellerman. She goes, don't be discouraged. It took Jonathan Kellerman um, like seven novels to get published. And I'm thinking to myself, I was 50 at the time. I'm thinking, how old do you think I'm going to live? <laughs> but, uh, but I realized I was really doing the same thing. I was just doing it with one novel. I didn't want it. I didn't want to be that guy who, who um, kept rewriting that first novel, but, but I ended up being him. But I'd actually stopped and started the second novel, a second novel. And I can't remember if it became my second novel. But And then I got a, a kind of a, a – Close rejection with some good notes from an agent that I don't even know if, who's, if she's gotten anybody published since. But I, I um, took her, I sent her notes to this Carolyn Wheat, who I'd mentioned before, kind of a mentor to me, and said, what do you think? Should I give that book one more chance? She said, well, you know, you send me $500 and I'll figure it out. And, uh, you know, she sent me 12 pages of single space notes. And um, two years later, I ended up getting an agent and getting published. So I really was that guy who was doing the same book over and over, or I was a guy who was getting published on my seventh book either way. But, um, you know, I just, I, I've, I had to, I had to tell, it was kind of a, it was before Rick Cahill became a private investigator and it was sort of his origin story. And I just figured I had to write it myself and make it good, whether it became published or not. And eventually it did get published, but, um, 
I was definitely in the hinterlands for a while. That's okay, but gosh, you know, look at look at that. You were you know you were traveling through the uh, the desert uh, for a long, long time, yeah. and then you end up at the Oasis with uh, the Anthony Award. Now, was it for best debut novel, or how did how did they? Yeah, it was best that? debut. Yeah, it, it was. Um, it's pretty neat because um, some a woman that was in my writers group was there. It was up in uh, Long Beach, uh, which is uh, south of LA. So that I could drive to the conference. They have it at Boucherkhan. Boucherkhan was Long Beach that year. And um, my publisher came out and my agent was there. So when I won, and I believe me, I did not think I was going to win. But when they mentioned my name, it was so cool to see and have people there that really helped me along the way because it, I always thought it was, a, you know, writing a book is a solitary uh, endeavor. How could anybody possibly help me tell my story? It's my story. It's coming out of my head. But, of course, I realized early on that it takes a lot of people to help you tell the story you think you're trying to tell. So that was a very uh, neat, uh, neat night for me. Oh, I, I don't think my feet would have touched the ground for about two days afterwards. <laughs> honestly, they didn't. They well, didn't. good. I'm glad you said that too, because, and it's good that you had witnesses there other than family who love you, but you know, yeah. people that, you know, were part of that journey and right. they, they knew the, the, the days in the desert with you. And, and that for you to get that, award after so much effort went into that book uh just I, you know i have to say man it just validated your effort i mean it did you know what the hell i'll tell you that actually the almost almost the coolest thing about it is that later that night i got an email from robert crace congr- congratulating me um, so that was, yeah that was like okay good night welcome to and the i think boys i may club. even want to poker that night so it was good night <laughs> yeah welcome to the boys club you know? yeah yeah exactly definitely no and, and ladies club too don't i don't want to be right, uh, right. sexist the club well, welcome to the club yes yeah uh but boy i tell you good for you and that's great i'm glad i'm glad to hear that so um you mentioned rick and his backstory let's let's walk through rick cahill because after all this the name of this podcast is my favorite detective stories so yeah. tell me about rick tell me about how he's uh grown and changed over the years and tell me right. what makes him tick and tell me what makes him special? I knew all, like, as I mentioned earlier, I wanted to write, I, you know, I read Chandler, I read um, McDonald. They were all about private, private eyes, private mm-hmm. investigators called them private eyes back then or private dicks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was in my blood. <clears throat> that's what I want to write. That's the way my brain worked when I would thought about constructing a story. So I wanted to write PI fiction. And um, I started writing as I, as I mentioned earlier, I was in my forties or something. And, um, first person, of course, I'm writing PI in first person. And, um, I didn't really have a great grasp of the character in the beginning. And I ended up going to a, a writer's conference. The very first writer's conference I went to is called Southern California writer's conference. They have it in San Diego and LA every, every year. Um, and so they were down in San Diego. And as you probably know, as I'm sure, you know, at these, at many of these conferences, you can send in uh, pages to be query. I mean, to be critiqued. Mm-hmm. And this is how long ago this was. This was they took thirty pages. Wow! Can you imagine being a reader and they had to get thirty pages? Yeah, they took thirty pages and a writer, a San Diego writer named Alan Russell, uh, uh, Mr. Writer, um, ended up being one of the uh, critiquers. And I sat down with him and he said, "Well, here's the good news: you can write." So that that was validating there. But he said, "But this is much too high about autobiographical. You know, you have to get further away from yourself." And he was so right. And um, I realized that, you know, I was writing about 
my own story and my own life, and it was not very interesting. I, my life has not been particularly interesting to me, except for what I'm doing now. Um, so I, with each revision, I got further and further away. And w- what happened through one of these early revisions, and I don't really know where this came from. It's from my subconscious, which Carolyn Weed always says was a much better writer than my fully cognitive writer consciousness. Uh, a line came to me, which became the first sentence to the first book, Yesterday's Echo, and it was, the first time I saw her, she made me remember and she made me forget. And so with that sentence, it kind of opened up the backstory to Rick to me. I realized well, this guy's a much darker, he's had a much darker life than I thought he had. There's a lot of regret and pain in his backstory. And once I found that, I, I found the character and it and it, it still grows with it. I still learn more about him with every every book. I just turned in the eight. But so he's a disgraced ex-cop who, before the first book ever starts, he was arrested for his wife's murder up in Santa Barbara, where he was uh, on the police department, probably only for about two or three years. She's murdered. He's he's arrested, released, but never exonerated, never tried, never exonerated, thought to be the guy who got away with murder. So he goes back to his hometown in San Diego, works in a restaurant, the, the first uh, that he worked in as a kid for his buddy, Turk Muldoon. And... Um, in that book is yesterday's echo. That's where the journey for him on paper starts and he helps a woman in need. And then after that, he becomes a private eye because he realizes this need to help is in my blood. Plus he's tra- always striving, striving for redemption because whether he murdered his wife or not, and you might be able to figure out by now whether he did it or not, but he feels responsible for it. There were some actions he took the night she died that he feels responsible in some ways for her death. And so every, every, um, quest he takes or every case he takes is a quest this need for redemption he's trying to redeem himself people looking from the outside might figure out that he probably already has but internally he just doesn't feel it and um so that's kind of what drives him this need for redemption and this this quest for the truth he lives by his father's credo who'd also been a disgraced cop before him which i touch about touch in one of the books um blood truth which is my fourth book um and his father's now died, but he lives by his father's credo, which is sometimes you have to do what's right even when the law says it's wrong. So he lives by that, his quest for redemption, and it can make him a kind of a dangerous character because he goes with his gut quite a bit too. And uh, he, later in, his, in the uh, series, he begins to question his own sense of right and wrong because he's done some, he's definitely broken the law almost in every book. And he's done some, um, he's done some things he could do serious time in prison for. But he thinks he's doing it for the right reasons. And But at, at, by the time the sixth book comes along, which is Lost Tomorrows, which you mentioned earlier, he begins to question, do I really know right from wrong anymore? Am I just am I, um, one of those people that thinks they're doing the right thing, but they're really just trying to please themselves? So that's the kind of long and short of him. You asked him, you talked about his growth. Um, for a while, I thought he was um, kind of, um, did, I don't want to say degenerating, but... He was uh, not growing. He was uh, devolving. Instead of devolving. evolving, he was devolving to darkness. But really, for him, it's been kind of a roller coaster um, ride for for highs and lows in terms of how he handles things. And by the time Blind Vigil comes around, the book that just came out, he's in a. Uh, although physically he's in the worst position he's ever been in his life, but um, emotionally he's in a good space. He's um, kind of figured out that. He doesn't want to be a private investigator anymore, and he wants because he gets too involved, people get hurt. Um, he's in he's in a, a, a steady relationship for the first time since his wife was uh, murdered, and he now he has to think about not just himself, someone else. But then someone asked him, an old partner asked him to help on a case, and he realizes it's in his blood, and he has to he has to follow that 
uh, that need and then try to balance it with the relationship he has with his girlfriend. Mm, and try to, I don't, I don't know that you would say he's working at half speed, but, or three quarter speed, but he has to put a brakes. He has to put the brakes on some parts of it, which might bring, um, all hellfire down to the people around him. So it's sort of like trying to, to walk the tightrope there. Is that a, a fair way of saying? Yeah. yeah. And beyond that, he's blind. He's lost his eyesight from the last book. So. Oh, blind vigil. Blind vigil. So it's kind of a, yeah, it's, I mean, that's a spoiler, but people that um, we'll see the cover kind of figure it out, but yeah. Um, yeah. So he's, it's a, he's in a, ironically, he's in the best place he's been in it since he's been on the page and, and, his everyday life, although he's trying to figure out what he's going to do now, but um, um, physically he's lost his vision. Mm-hmm. Well, he's going to have to use his other superpowers then. That's, that's yeah, it. he yeah. does have to rely on his other powers. Um, yeah, and help. And he had, the one thing that this that for him he also he's been a lone wolf, although he does work with this other um, PI Moira McFarlane. He has to ask people for help, which is something he's never done before. And he has to rely on other people, which for him is, is hard to do. Gotcha. Now, yeah, so it is a new space for him. I, you know, while we're, we're in a seven-book arc, uh, I just yeah. wanted to ask, and, I, and it's fair for me to stay in the dark if you want me to, but um, no arrest made in his wife's murder. Yes? Not until the, well, uh, not until the last book, Lost Tomorrow's. Okay. Then I won't say anything more. So I'll that's okay. Not leave it at that. Then okay, good. Yeah, good. Oh boy. Yeah, that arc was kind of that was kind of the closing of that arc of books one through six, and so not only did I have him in a you know he he sort of lost that that need to re- whether you know he finds the truth about his wife and he doesn't necessarily he hasn't necessarily redeemed himself but. Um, he has at least taken a layer of that dark cloud away. So he's he's kind of dealing with a whole new life now and blind vigilance that opens up, okay. which was interesting to write. Plus, it's kind of interesting to write about a blind detective. Um, yeah. I, uh, I question myself many times. There is a, there is a medical uh, a way for his vision to come back, which is, has to do with some swelling in his brain. And it's legit from talking to ophthalmologists and doctors. Um, and I left that open at the end of the last book. Um, but I, and as I'm trying to write this book about a blind PI, I'm thinking, dude, you're an idiot. This is impossible, especially in first person. Um, just make his vision come back between books. And then I thought, well, that would, um, that would negate the impact, uh, kind of cheat. I thought from lost tomorrow. So mm-hmm. I decided that I, I, I had to go forward. I even brought in for the first time ever. I bought in a third person, um, character who was a bad guy. Because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have the faith that I could uh, tell the story all through Rick's um, first-person lack of vision. Um, but after a while, I stopped writing that character and I pulled him out. And um, you know, I've been writing this character for 19 years, Rick Cahill, even though it took me 10 to get published. But so I just had to realize I have to let him, you know, put him in a situation and and he will guide you. He will guide me to the story I need to tell, and that's what happened. But I really, the hardest book I've had to write for sure. So. A uh, lot there, and I'm thinking that, and, and each step is a step that you take in a direction, good, bad, or uh, otherwise. It's still a step that you take in its development, and but somehow, as you, as your character devolves, revolves, or changes, and the situation that also 
creates the situations that he's that he's put into and it's there that the is that how the plot is derived or is it uh, that you think of a plot and then how does his uh, world uh, enter into that plot let me i don't know i'm just going to ask you that straight up no you 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 actually nailed it completely on the on the first half of that question yeah I thought so. for me that is for me it's it's always character comes first um and you know like i said i've been writing the guy for a long time so I try to find, I always, the sub, there's always a major subplot with him, with Rick. And that always comes to me first. That's the easy part. Okay. Uh, more or less. So, so I have that to deal with. I've got the emotional pull of the story, part of it at least. And then I just try to put him in a, he's a private eye, he's going to be working case. I try to put him in a situation where it'll have the most emotional impact on him and it'll be under the most pressure. And when I find that, I mean, I have a, I don't outline, um, and I'm, I'm more organic, which means messier than I even I've ever been. I used to semi outline in the very beginning, but kind of a skeletal outline. I don't even do that. I have an inciting incident. I have his subplot and I have a, 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 a target for the ending, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're exactly right. It is. Well, I put him in the situation. What would he do here? And then for me, from that comes the plot. How is it going to affect Rick? And it, making it plausible, of course. Yeah. And making what he does um, reasonable, uh, but also taking in the context of who he is. Uh, he will make stupid decisions, and sometimes, sometimes readers, um, like Goodreads reviewers, won't like that. They'll think you know he's not a great detective. Well, that's who he is. I mean, he yeah. he's a bulldog. He finds his way through um, determination, and you know he also has some skills for sure. But um, so. I have to put, you know, he's going to make mistakes and that's part of the deal. And that'll be part of the, that'll be some twists in the story where he's made mistakes and gotten people and put people in danger. But yeah, for me, it definitely starts there. And how is he going to react? I have to give my dog pills. How's he going to react? (laughs) And that's, um, that's how the plot goes. And, uh, I have to trust that sometimes the last, but the book I just turned in, it took me a long time to get to that point. I was trying to be too methodical about it. And I go, dumb just just put him in a spot and yeah. let him figure it out and then you will and that's that's what happened and i can see how for you that the creative juices work and that's how it right. it, it, it comes together right. uh, i come at my writing a little differently that's not to say one's right one's wrong but i can hear in you yeah the excitement of following his journey uh even though you have the you know the basics of the, of the plot somewhat in in the back of your head after you know 19 years of doing this yeah um i think you have maybe a little bit of uh you know hard wiring that kind of uh the neural networks are always back there but uh yeah i I, i'm glad to hear that from you i'm glad to hear that that's the way you write because everybody's different and absolutely whatever it takes to put something original fresh uh enjoyable on the page for the reader what I'm hearing is that it's not formulaic, that it's not, um, the, you know, the, the, the 72nd chap, you know, book of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something that, um, is, is, uh, unique and can stand, can be a standalone, but also is yeah. part of a greater, uh, story arc, which allows yeah. the, the reader to say, Hey, I picked this up. And I like this, and maybe I'll go back to the beginning and, and start in the beginning and, and move up to this point because I like right. where I'm at now with this guy. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I had to ask you, Matt, and I, I, it goes back to that euphoric time uh, in uh, Long Beach. 
at the Baoshan Khan where you were surprised by the win. Yeah. Um, did you feel that after that happened that, uh, that you were like, um, scared to death that the next one might not live up to that? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So talk, talk to me about that a little bit because I, yeah. that, could, that could be quite humbling. You know, how do right. I, what's my second act? You know? Right. And, and as, as you know, basically when I should have already been turned in my next book by then, but you know, it took me, I don't know, 10 years to write the first book. And then my publisher didn't give me a two book um, deal. Initially it was one book at a time for the first two. And so I was, I wasn't even under contract for another book. And so it took me two years to get that book out. So I did have time to worry about that mm. because I was still writing the book. Well, right now, you know, my book's already in. But I was, um, it was really, it's internal for me um, that I don't want to, I definitely don't want to um, disappoint my readers and I'm lucky to have readers. Um, but but I, I don't want, I don't want to, I can't disappoint my, well, I can't disappoint myself. I do it every day, but I don't want to, I, I, I try to reach a level, the book to have a level that I, I think it needs to be. And I, there's always that question with each book I write in the middle, I'm writing this thing. And I think, well, this is garbage. You're a fraud. It, they're finally going to figure it out. Um, you don't know what you're doing. It's been luck so far. And and that's the middle part of every book for me. And then when I get done, <laughs> I read the first draft. They go, eh, it's not horrible. You can fix this. <laughs> but yeah, I always, I, I really do. And I, I, just, I had my agent read the last book I just sent in before. I mean, she reads them anyway, but I gave her a, um, a draft before I was even finished. I probably had four more religion, revisions to do, but I just wanted her to read it. I said, do we? does this even belong? Um, because I really had real questions about it. And she said, yes. And of course I made the book better after mm. that, but yeah, I do. I do re really feel, um, that I have to reach a certain level. I'm not saying any kind of greatness or anything like that, but just the level that I need the book to be, to feel comfortable with, to feel like I, I got the most out of it. There's probably only been one book where I really felt like I wrote exactly the book that I wanted to. Okay. The rest have been close, um, but yeah, it is a con. I do, I do, I do. I don't worry. I don't worry about. I mean, I'm sure I do a little bit. I worry about is this worthy of you know being yeah. nominated for something, or is, but is this really is this just worthy of people reading it and continuing Rick's journey? Yeah, but still, I mean, the fact is, you know, you kind of told me the story in in a, in a way that well, I've been nominated. Uh, Four other times before they uh, gave me a, uh, they they, they uh, awarded me the uh, best uh, private eye novel for uh, the Seamus for Lost Tomorrows, and then you go back to say that your debut was uh, an Anthony Award winner, and I'm thinking, okay, so somewhere some people are thinking that you know you got some writing chops here because you know debut author winner, four nominees, another win. I mean, there's there's some serious uh, people looking at your stuff, and and they all can't be wrong, Matt. <laughs> you know, they well, all can't, they I, all can't know, be wrong. Not every award, not every award, do you have to read the book to be nominated? So um, I'm very happy. That I'm, I think all my books that have been nominated, I think they've deserved to be. But I also something like the Seamus, where I know that this being read. And so that is, um, mm -hmm. that does make you feel like, well, you know, some people think you know how to write. Yeah. And, and, you know, I guess going back to that, that thought after winning, Oh my God, what's my next act going to be? Is that 
that book took it was 10 years in the making. And that was like right. walking, walking through the Sahara desert in your bare feet. Right. So, okay. Now what do I got to do for the next one? Right. <laughs> do I have to right. do And yeah, that like you that first book and you got 10 years, you can take 10 years. Nobody wants it. Nobody cares. Right. And then the next book, my publisher wanted one, but I wasn't under contract. And so that took two years. And then the next book they wanted, I was on a, two, I think I was on a two book deal the next year after that. And it took me 18 months. And I thought, you know, I, I got, well, I'm not really keeping up my end of the bargain. Every, everyone's been uh, a year since, but yeah, it's a whole, you know, and you have a job and you have other responsibilities and I don't have kids or anything like mm-hmm. friends. I know. I mean, I don't know how they do it, but yeah, it's, um, you really have to be dedicated. You really have to love what you're doing, even though most days you feel like you hate it <laughs> down deep, you know, you love it. But well, I, I think having, having a day job, um, initially, uh, made me, it helped me find a routine. So you, this is, these are the hours I write. So, and if I didn't, I'd feel guilty. Yeah. Whereas having an open schedule, well, I can always do it some other time. With the uh, you know working a day job, I had you know I was done with the day. I'd start writing at you know five or six in the in the evening. Yeah, no, that I, was it. No, when I was uh, working full time, uh, I had uh, Wednesday nights and Sundays. And oh Wednesday night was you know like an eighteen hundred word chapter. And Sunday, yeah, Sunday was a lot of, uh, and Sunday was, I tried to do a double, like a chapter in the morning and a chapter in the evening or daytime. Mm -hmm. So it was longer. And then my edit times were uh, Tuesdays and Fridays. So Tuesday for the the Sunday Drek and uh, Friday for the um, Wednesday Drek. I use it. I use the word Drek, but you know, my basically sure. my oh, last drafts. I got plenty of Drek. Yeah, lots of Drek, and you know, uh, but that way, um, if I was cranking out uh, a little under six thousand words a week, um, you know, basically a, a book would get written in a, in a yeah. short while. Now, understand, I'm a different writer than you are. I'm an outliner, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm a very um, I don't want to use the word obsessive. Uh, outliner, but I pretty much know before my uh, my fanny hits the chair and my hands hit the keyboard uh, what the beginning of that, what the hook line for that uh, chapter is going to be, what the middle is mm-hmm. going to look like, and how the end is going to leave the cliffhanger for the next chapter. So I pretty much know that, and that's where my creativity comes in, and that I can I know that for eighteen hundred and seventy words I can create magic. Don't ask me to dream up seventy thousand words. But if I know I can manage 1,870, I know mm-hmm. I, I can do right. the job. So okay. for me, that, that was my writing. And then plunk, 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 that's how it got done. Now, yeah. when, Wednesday nights came, like I said, as long as nobody was bleeding and it wasn't a second alarm, you know, I was, at, I was working on, on my mm-hmm. book. Uh, I scheduled everything. I worked my ass off on Mondays and Tuesdays and up until like a 4 o'clock on Wednesday so that I could have my Wednesday night and then – I do all my Saturday chores, get them all done so that come Sunday, I could do my, uh, that was my day of rest. That was my Sabbath. That was my day of just luxuriating in the simple act of uh, making stuff up. So anyway, I, I, I yeah, a schedule. No, it's important. I think it's important for people that, that I think they want to be a writer is that it does take having a schedule and it may not even be a set schedule for everyone, but it's just a case you're going to write every day. 
And also, you know, you've touched on it a couple times, but when I first started writing uh, crime, I thought, shit, I got to outline this because there's so there's clues, there's um, suspects, all these different things. Foreshadowing. And I was really surprised when I would talk. Uh, it, and to this day, it's probably been half the mystery writers I know, and I know a lot now, half are blank pagers and half are outliners. Okay. <laughs> it's, yep. it's kind of funny. There's no, wrong, there's no right way, but if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. Yeah, the newer word for pantsers is uh, discovery. Well, yeah, writers. you know, it's a it's a Chandler thing. He always had to look at the blank page on his typewriter, and for some reason, it's a San Diego thing. All the writers groups have been in down here, at least the one Carolyn Wheat led. We talked about blank page, but yes, pantser. Everybody else used pantsers. I always use blank page. I know, and lately, I've been hearing in the indie world uh, discovery writers. I'm a discovery oh. writer. Oh, so that that that, that takes a, a little bit away from you know an article of clothing. <laughs> or, or a Russian or a, a German tank, yeah, Panzers. Uh, ah, very good, very good. I With the Z, yeah, yeah, that's bad. I'm sorry. Anyhow, no, congratulations again. I'm just so happy to have you on. Uh, this was fun, it really was. I had a blast. I, I really enjoyed talking with you. Uh, how do people get your books, and 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 uh, how do they uh, how do they get in touch with Matt? Well, my website is MattCoyleBooks.com. Um, my email address is in there. Uh, on social media, I'm pretty good on Facebook. If uh, I have a author page, which is MattCoyle Author, I think, and then my just MattCoyle, where you'll see a lot of pictures of my dog, Angus, doing couch yoga on my normal page. <laughs> and um, I'm on Twitter. I can retweet things. And uh, Instagram, every once in a while, I, I will like a lot of stuff, but every once in a while, I'll put something up. But yeah, that's how. You, and of course, you can find my books uh, anywhere. Although um, you know they're not in every Barnes and Noble, but they're in a lot. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're you know available online. Well, I got to get my copy of Lost Tomorrows, and then mm-hmm. harangue you into signing it for me at the next uh, Bowser Con. Okay. Yeah, I'm learning about book plates this year. Oh yeah. Yeah, this crazy year, you know, where you can't you can't really sign books anymore right. unless right. people want to send you a case, which would be stores have done but yeah i'm doing i've signed some book plates which i've never done before okay that sounds interesting yeah. yeah well you know what um it was wonderful having you on i really appreciate it i think my uh, listeners are going to love this they're going to love uh lost tomorrows but i'm going to tell them go back to the beginning the first one was yesterday's echo yesterday's echo yeah. and uh, start in the beginning that's the way i do it i, I might read a read a writer uh, mid-series, and I'll stop after a chapter and say, ooh, I really like this. I want to go back to the beginning. And I'll start going back to the very first book, and then I watch the writer's journey as well as the character's journey from book one all the way through. And it's fun. I'm enjoying it. Now that I'm a writer and just not just a reader, uh, I get to watch a writer's uh, arc as well as the reader's arc and uh, or sure. the character's arc, and I really enjoy it right. a lot. Uh, learning so much more about the craft. So constant learning process. Yes. Oh, I, I now I'm now studying as much, but I got to tell you, I, you get me into the last 50 pages of a good book and that writer's stuff goes out the window. And I'm just like, I'm like with every other reader, just waiting to see how that's going to end. So I'm the same way. Excited. Yep. All right. And Oh, on that point, I know we're at like 45 minutes, but who do you like reading now? I forgot to ask you that question. I'm sorry. Well, I read, uh, people I've read for, for years, like, um, T. Jefferson Parker, Robert Crace, Michael Connolly, um, mm-hmm. Walter Mosley. Um, I read uh, Megan Abbott when I want to realize how 
bad a writer I am. <laughs> she's just a whole different, she's just a whole different, that's just a different level. Um, something, but, uh, something to aspire to, Matt. Not, not, yeah, not but make you feel I, like a, you know, a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. I feel like I'm in one of those Westerns and they're having to get some, some cowboy, some old, uh, some old gold miner signed the deed and he puts his X on the paper. That's what I feel like after I read <laughs> Megan Abbott when I'm writing. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I read a lot, I read a lot for blurbing. Um, so I, and, uh, okay. I've got some, I've got some awards coming up. That I have to read for someone be really busy, but, okay. um, I read CJ box too. I, I read, um, you know, it's always, it's nice when you find somebody new and sometimes that happens when you're judging a contest. Mm-hmm. And, um, I also have a podcast that I, I have to, I have to, that I read for. So, Okay. Pretty busy. Pretty busy in the reading department. All right. And just one last time. First one uh, of the of the uh, series is uh, yesterday's echo, and and the one that you won for is lost tomorrows, and yeah. you also uh, have blind vigil out now. Or it's, right. yeah, it just came out. Just came out. Fresh, hot off the presses. That's right. Um, it's available in print and ebook. Yep. Correct. Yep. And uh, soon to be audio too. And. Uh, your publisher is Ocean View, and right. people can reach you through mattcoil.com. Mattcoilbooks.com. Ah, books. Matt Somebody Coyle already books. had Matt Coil. I think they lost it, but I haven't grabbed it. Mattcoilbooks.com. Yeah. Matt, thanks again. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, man. I really, it was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. I hope that I've earned your interest and your time. If you have any comments, please leave them on the website. Our guest next week is Jan Barefoot. 30 years ago, Jan, a Charlotte, North Carolina native, combined the experience she had gained in the legal industry along with her King's Business College degree to begin Charlotte's premier private detective agency, Barefoot Professional Investigations. From their humble beginnings, Jan and her team of licensed investigators have grown to one of the largest investigative firms in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, serving major law firms, corporations, and thousands of individuals. The secret to the success of Barefoot Professional Investigations has been recognition as one of the most ethical investigative firms in the Southeast. Their relentless attention to detail and their ability to tackle some of the toughest cases have earned them the respect and admiration of top law firms and attorneys in the Southeast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear other great detective stories, please go to the website and click on our podcast page. There you'll find the backlist. Now, you're probably asking, John... What about your own stories? Do you have any? Sure enough, I do. And they are available to you free as a download right to your inbox. I have eight short stories and eight vignettes in a book titled Mugshots, My Favorite Detective Stories. Now here's my ask. If you were either informed, inspired, or entertained by the stories today, don't be bashful. Share this link with your friends. Better still, go to the iTunes website and leave a review. It's the best way to grow the circle around our community. If you have any questions, please contact me through the website, www.johnhoda.com. J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Thanks so much, and have a great day. <laughs>